0: On today's episode of the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast, we have Sarah Torpy joining us. Sarah is a business coach with 20 years of experience working with both business owners and educators. At Torpy Coaching, she works one-to-one with business owners to create thriving, profitable businesses through simplicity, smart systems, and leveraging everything that is already working to create even more growth. Sarah is a multiple business owner, a teacher, a mom, and a wife. She knows what it's like to wear all the hats and build an amazing business you love at the same time. Sarah is fueled by learning, sunshine, teaching, frozen desserts, and helping clients to create their dreams. Hi there. I'm Isabel Kateman, and I run Stripe Dog Creative, a website strategy and design firm dedicated to helping service-based entrepreneurs create strategic and elegant websites so they can attract their dream clients, raise their prices, and scale their businesses. I'm so excited to have you here for the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast. Tune in each week to hear practical business advice, tips on embracing and learning from failure – trust me, it's going to happen – and real talk on trying to create a balanced life as an entrepreneur from my guest experts and, of course, from me. Ready to turn those dreams into a reality? Let's do it. Hi, Sarah. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here for this episode of the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast.
1: I'm so glad to be here. It's so exciting. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. So first off, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself personally? Some things that you like, where are you from? What are your hobbies?
1: Yeah, I am a wife and I am a mom and I have two kids. They're both elementary school aged. I have two puppies because we did two COVID puppies because we have problems. They are not the same age. We didn't get them at the same time. And yes, our older puppy needed a friend, so we did get a puppy for our puppy at some point during COVID. What are your puppy's names? Luna and Ruby. Love it. We refer to one as Lunatic and the other as Ruby Dooby Doo, (laughs) because that's what you call them. You can't just call them their name. That would be crazy. A hundred percent.
0: Oh, they never get called their names. They always just get called random nicknames.
1: No, but yeah, so I... Own a couple of businesses. I teach part time. I have young kids and puppies and a husband, and that is plenty. So, at some point, I would like hobbies. I mean, I garden for sure. And really, like for me, joy is a half hour out of my house walking the dogs without anyone talking to me. So, I love all my people. I love all the people I work with, but occasionally I'm like, I am just walking away and maybe I'll never walk back. I grew up, I live outside of Philly, married a boy from New Jersey. I went to college in New Jersey, but I grew up in Syracuse, New York. So I am slowly and steadily creeping my way south because I do not like to be cold. That is all the things.
0: Nice. All right. Well, tell us about your business and how did you get started in it?
1: Oh, gosh. My entire path from here to there is like a giant, happy, intentional accident. I am a business coach. I work with former teachers. I help them actually make money in their business because business is great. But if you're just helping people, it's a mission, not a business. And teachers, nurses, people who have like helper at heart tend to be like, cool, I would do this for free. And then they do. And you're like, no, no, you don't. Please stop. I just had a conversation yesterday where she was like, well, but I'm charging them hourly. And I said, how much? And she said, $75 $75 an hour. And I was like, no, please stop. Please stop. Please, please. And she was like, why? Like, you think 80? I was like, I think 150 like or 200. She was like, her brain, where she like, you could see it leak out of her ears. It was amazing. Um, so I primarily work in that role. I also have a second business called Extensions, it is math and critical thinking and problem solving tasks for kids and families. Middle school aged, it is driven, it's older, I've had it a bunch of years, and it is very much driven from the idea that math shouldn't be a horrific thing to do with your kids once they get older. It should be relatively interesting and even kind of fun. And you don't have to like die of being tortured by 67 of the same problem because that just sucks. That's amazing. And you can tell probably my teaching experiences in math. And so I also teach college kids part-time I have a whole bunch of feelings about the gatekeeper to success that is algebra. And so I continually work at like making 25 more kids think they can do it.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah. I think math torments a lot of people and especially, you know, I'm not a parent, but I always see parents on Facebook, you know, with memes and different things talking about how they don't remember the math anymore and their kid needs help with their homework. And now it's just panic
1: time. Well, and so for me, what that translates into is, I think I'm about a week out from this happening because school is really getting into swing. It translates into my phone starting to ping about 3.30 with pictures of worksheets that are followed by curse words. I mean, and they're always like, where are the directions? How do I? And so I am a constant like... Crusader for all the quote unquote new math because there's a reason we do it new ways because you didn't like it and you didn't like learning it. So, wouldn't it be nice if your kids did?
0: And so, you being a former teacher and now being a coach, tell me about that transition and how you knew that it was time to leave teaching.
1: Oh, I didn't. I went from classroom teacher to teacher coach while I was still in the school district I worked in. I was somebody that as a kid knew I would be a teacher, I always knew. Like, I knew when I was little, little. I'm like, my husband makes fun of me because it's, he's like, not everybody always knew what they would do when they grow up. And I was like, okay, so I don't know what that's like. I always knew. And so I transitioned into the role of a coach in school districts and I really thoroughly enjoyed that job. And then we moved out of the area and I was applying for teaching jobs. I was finalist and a couple. And in the term I was doing that, a friend asked me to consult to a company he was working with. And that turned into a full-time job in the corporate world. And it was like, oh, we still talk about it in this house as my drive-by jobbing. Like it was so out of the blue, actually, when I came home from that trip, because that company is based in Chicago, my husband said, oh, so tell me what happened. And I was like, I could not even form sentences about it. I said, you know what? Let's have lunch on like Monday. And we'll talk about it. I literally lived in the house here with him for four days and didn't say not 10 words about it because I couldn't. Oh my God. And for me, eventually what happened when I was in corporate, I found that I was too far away from teaching because for me, there will always be at least a tiny bit of teaching. I've never really fully left. I've left the structure that is school system's And I've thought about going back periodically. And at some point, six or seven years ago, I was like, oh, I don't have a life that fits this. Like, I'm not willing to trade the quality of my life for a system that I don't love or that wouldn't love me back and fit my family and fit what we do. And I realized I could do more outside of the system than in it. And so I have part of me. There's still a tiny part of me that every now and then, September particularly, is like, wouldn't you like a classroom? And I'm like, yeah, but not the bell schedule and not the somebody tells me when to eat lunch and not the politics and the drama and the just not any of that. I had actually got a cold email from an assistant superintendent here a week ago that was like, hey, we have a position that would fit you. And I was like, huh? How did you even find me? So certainly the opportunities are there, but I left not on purpose, but it really has made sense in the long run.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so for, you know, I know obviously most of our paths are not linear, but for other people who are either in a teaching career or just kind of in general in a career that they're not sure that they necessarily want to stay in, they're not sure it's right. What was kind of going through your head as you were even considering leaving or what advice do you have for people who are potentially considering leaving kind of deciding if that's the right choice?
1: Yep. And actually at this point, I work with a lot of people who are sort of on that cusp where they're making a change. They've started a business, they're getting ready to leave. And for me, I think the two things that I've learned are first that you are ready long before you feel ready. Like, you know, it's time to leave. It takes you longer to be willing to admit that to yourself. That's the length issue that people have where they draw it out a year or two. It's not that you don't know you should leave. It's that you don't want to commit to the decision. But the sooner you commit to the decision, the better it is for everybody. You just are afraid of that. And that's normal. It took me a while to really commit to leaving. But suddenly, sort of, I looked around and everything had stacked up in such a way where it was like, oh, I don't have a choice otherwise. I really have to do this. And the other thing I think is, you know, once you commit to leaving, you get to leave on your terms. So it's like, I think of my husband has been taking my kids fishing. They have this new thing. They like go off and they go fishing. And I'm like, bye, enjoy. He bought a kayak. It's a whole complicated thing. But the thing he and I have been talking about is finishing their trip, their fishing trip, before everybody's miserable. Like leave them wanting more. Right. It's the same thing. Like if you know you're meant to do something else and you know it's time, it's time. Dragging it out two more years just means that everybody hates each other at the end. And just like you would with kids, setting them up to be done sooner, like leaving while everybody's still happy and everybody's still on good terms, like turns people into clients for you, turns people into business. Because the vast majority of people, especially in a teaching setting, are like, holy cow, how did you do that? Not like you're an evil person. Why would you go make money somewhere? (laughs) Like They're all like, wait, what? And so, so many more people are going to support it than you realize. So much more good is going to come from it. But you have to be the grown-up decider of it. You actually have to put the stake in the ground. And that's the trick.
0: Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, I love what you said about kind of leaving people wanting more, like leaving before it starts to get bad. I think though, it can be kind of terrifying to go off on your own because, you know, before you had a steady income and, you know, you kind of knew where your next paycheck was coming in with entrepreneurship, it can be a little bit scary. So for people who kind of know that it's time for them to leave, do you have any tips or advice for jumping ship and just diving right in
1: and making that transition? I just had this entire conversation with somebody yesterday and I think, you know, she looked at me and she said, I know we have the money to keep us safe. We have the right savings. We're in a good place. She's like, I'm just afraid it won't work, but like, you're going to think that you're going to quit. And then 10 minutes later, think it was the dumbest thing you ever did. Like everyone goes through that. That's all predictable. So I think the best advice I have for people that are really going to do that is like, get the ducks in a row that you can. And then also understand that some of the ducks are going to like pick up weapons and try to come back and hit you. And you just have to be prepared for the mental onslaught of that, whether it's like having some sort of journaling habit, having somebody that is in this with you that you can talk to about it, having a coach, having a friend, whatever it is, You have to have somebody that you can go to and you're like, holy crap, did I make the wrong decision? And they can go like, of course not. Like, no, sit down, be quiet, keep going and move forward. And like having a voice of like calm in the mix really helps to have your brain go like, oh, okay. Like I remember early on when I was first being coached early in my business, there were a lot of times where I was like, well, but she thinks I can do it. Even if I don't. And that actually was enough in so many ways. My husband, I would think, like, my husband thinks I can do this. My friends don't think I'm a lunatic. She took me on as a client. Like, there's got to be something here. And then I would be like, I don't know, but I would just carry on because I knew other people thought it was possible. And sometimes that's enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that. And I think kind of on that same topic, one of the things that's so helpful is having a coach. And it was something that you know, with my previous wedding planning business, I didn't really have, and it took me a while to get one for this business. And I wish it was something that I had done earlier because I think when you're so new to business, you're kind of pinching every penny, which makes sense because again, you're very worried about finances. That's kind of the number one thing you're worried about. And you see a coach and you know, you might be a little put off by that price. but you're so, not aware at the time that a coach can help you double, triple, quadruple that income. And they're there for you, as you're saying. And I think I almost used my husband too much in that role. Like I kind of expected him to be a constant cheerleader. And I think people expect their partners or their moms or their best friends or whatever it is to do that. And unfortunately, number one, they can't always do that. Number two, they're not trained in different problems that come up. And so for you, when you're coaching clients, What are kind of some of those fears that you're seeing in people come up? Is I assume money is probably a big one.
1: Yes. Well, and like, you know, it's the saying goes, the same reason you say no is the same reason you should say yes. Right. Like if your no is about money, then that's probably why you need to go ahead and do it because it's the thing that will make you money. And that's like a wickedly weird pill to swallow. Like the first coach I hired, oh God, we had to put a roof on the house that year. It was the year we planned to do the kitchen and our entire heating system died. And then I hired a coach and I was like, "My husband was like, are you, I love you. Are you out of your freaking mind? But it is that like, get out of your own way and having somebody that's like, no, 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 this is normal. You're not ridiculous. Keep going. I think for me, especially with people who are teachers, like money is an issue for sure, but it's asking for money. Number one, it's pricing value instead of just time. And then it's also knowing that it's okay to make money. I think that was a big hurdle. It's a hurdle I see in a lot of clients. It's a hurdle I had where it's like, I never expected to make any money as a teacher. No one goes into teaching thinking like, I'm going to be a millionaire. because That's just not how the system is built. And Suddenly you have this big business dream and you're like, oh, but I can't tell anybody that because that's not what teachers do. And so there's this whole mindset around the safety of success and money and what you get to do with it that I think really helps people. And then I think there's the other side. So there's money. And then the other set of issues that I think is really common is time. It's, I'm going to take on this thing, but I'm going to do it in... I was just talking to somebody yesterday about this. Like you leave a school system where you have to be at the door at this time. You have to be at lunch at this time. You have to be at these things at this time. You leave, you go start your own thing. And then you're like, but I have to be at my desk at 830 and I have to have lunch at 1205 and it can only last 15 minutes. And then if I don't finish this list by four o'clock, I have to sit back down at eight o'clock and you do the same shit. That's not the point. And so there's, I had to do a ton of mindset work. I didn't have to do as much about money, but success in money I did, but I did a ton related to time and hustle and fun and overwhelm and all of this. And so, so many teachers are like, yes, but I have to get an A. I need it to be perfect. I have to do it right. So I'm going to do it 16 times. And you're like, please, please, please. And so all of the like good student perfectionism, Time, all of that giant ball of crazy, is a lot of what happens with people because it's like, oh, but I left the shop to have flexible time, but I never actually leave my desk anymore. I work twenty seven hours a day. What? And I'm sure you did that early on. Like this, do you recognize this?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest things with entrepreneurs is you leave you know a, a teaching job or a crazy 9 to 5 or in my case an agency job with you know 70 plus hour work weeks and then you work more as an entrepreneur but when you're early on in your business you're afraid to charge what you're worth so you're making less but working more and it's like why did i leave and so i think this is huge among entrepreneurs and especially early entrepreneurs and just kind of learning boundaries and learning balance and learning your worth is such a huge huge lesson and i think it doesn't really come until unfortunately, like the first few years in, unless you have a great coach.
1: And I think you do, you need somebody to say like, look, let me remind you, like I have a client who I've had for quite a while, but she runs a coaching business. She works with students. She is starting an arm of it where she's going to sort of train the trainers as it were. She's going to teach people to do what she's doing. But really what she loves the most is karate. She's like a triple black belt. And what will happen is she'll get into this space in the fall in particular, but also it happens like February where she'll start to take on all the clients because the sad stories will start to come. And I get to say to her like, yes, but also karate. Like, what do you really want your life to look like? How do you want to balance your time? She's making more money than she ever made. And she takes private karate three days a week right now it makes her really happy, but it also makes her better at what she's doing. And you have to, sometimes you almost need somebody to say like, no, 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 that matters more. Actually, you'll be able to do more if you're doing your things. I know it sounds like a screwed up way of looking at time, but it's not like it feels counterintuitive, but it's not.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a lot kind of like the You know, analogy that's always used with like the airplane mask, where you have to like put your mask on first before you can help others. I think it's such a hard lesson because you assume that hustle, hustle, hustle is what's going to make you successful. And of course, as a new business owner, there is just some of that. But I think, you know, when you really start to learn balance and you start to learn that you can be a better service provider when you're whole and you're happy and you are not lacking sleep and you're not cranky and all of the things that kind of come with a more balanced life, then you start to become a better service provider.
1: Well, and I think the other thing you learn, and I think this one was hard for me, but now it's something I like torture people with because I'm like, no, 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 but is it fun? Because here's the thing like if you I have a client right now where like I said to her like if you are thinking about social platforms what feels fun to you and she's like well surely not Facebook I'm like well then don't do Facebook she's like but I have to and I hate it I'm like well then <laughs> don't like you get to decide that and if it feels like torture you're not going to do it well so why torture yourself like this is the decision of a business owner as a business owner you get to go like i hate this but either you don't do it because it's something that was a didn't have to or like you know what doing my books is the worst you find help so there are resources but you have to give the things that drag you down away and that really matters or you have to find a way to love them and find something that you love about them and that, like, that infusion of fun makes, and sounds crazy because people who are newer in business are like, fun, <laughs> the hell is wrong with you? Who has time for that? And that's why we work on thinking about time because it actually should be fun. It shouldn't feel like banging your head on a brick wall all the time. And if it does, you're not getting as far. You're not making as much. You're not making as much impact as you could be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think those are all great points. On the flip side of that, obviously running a business, you're wearing a lot of hats. So even though you want to make it as fun as possible, not every day is going to be a hundred percent perfect. You're not going to love every part that comes from, you know, comes with running a business. So on those days that are just kind of shitty, how do you get around them? Are there things that you do to kind of motivate yourself or your clients to get them through those days?
1: I am a big believer in popsicles. <laughs> I am a big believer in treats and popsicles and grace. What happens to me a lot is I find myself about three o'clock, like aimlessly, like scrolling things. And then like, I should do that. And then I don't do it. And then I should do that. And I don't do it. And then I should do that. And I don't do it. And what I've learned over the years is like, when I catch that, it is not time to sit here for an extra hour time to go work out or time to take the dogs for a walk or go pick up my kids early or like go freaking have a pop school and sit outside for a while. Like as a teacher, I know that you have to change tasks and move around and do all these things. That's what I do with college kids. It's what I did with elementary students. It's what I did with middle school kids. Somehow I don't deserve the same, like what the hell? And so I'm a big believer in treats and celebrating all the small things. Like all of my clients know that when we start a call for the week, we start with what's good. Like, I don't even have to ask anymore. Most of them because they're like, okay, good things first, always good first. I know. And if it's only one or two things that they come up for, I just wait because there's always more than you realize. And so we lead with good, but we also lead with treats. It's like, okay, all these good things are going on. What did you do to celebrate? give yourself a treat. I think it's that it's, you know, like I was telling you another day, there's this book by Martha Beck called the joy diet. And in there, she tells you, you should have three treats a day. And I was like, hello treats. And one of them is because you did, you took a risk, you like risk reward. Right. And the other two are just cause damn it.
0: Yeah. I love that.
1: So like, oh, Oh, and that book helped me redefine treat. So, for me, in so many cases, so many days, a treat is 10 minutes sitting on my patio reading a book in the middle of the day. Oh, like a truant child, and no guilt or any of that. Maybe with a popsicle if it's all the time. And so, it's that. But also, I think, you know, I was talking with two colleagues who we meet every other week, and one of them came to our meeting yesterday just like, not just not into business or life, or she's not. And you know what? That's okay. Like that's normal. It's normal to have shit days. There's this woman that I follow. Her name is Vicki Louise. And she has this concept called a hundred. I don't know what it's called. Actually. It's like a hundred bad days. Like in any given year, you have a hundred bad days. You just do. That's like our human allotment. So like, you can decide like, is today one of them? cool. Then be like, I'm going to go eat some ice cream,
0: whatever. Yeah. Treats, treats, treats,
1: like all treats all day. I'm going to go back to bed. But I think the thing I find is I'm like, today is going to be a terrible day. And then I go like sit in it for an hour. And after that, I'm like, all right, I'm done now. <laughs> like It doesn't last very long. Once you sit down in it, it's the pushing it away that makes it stay. It's like when you have a cold and you decide you have to work through it instead of just like staying in bed for one day and feeling better tomorrow. Like that's the same shit.
0: I 100% agree with that. And I also think it's so frustrating and I'm not very woo-woo at all. And whenever people said mindset a few years ago, I'd roll my eyes and be like, please get away from me with your like astrological signs and mindset. But I will say that now it's so true. And sometimes I get mad that it's so true, but it's so true. It's like, if you kind of set your intentions And set your mind to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to let myself, you know, sit in this or wallow in this. But then, you know, today can be a good day. It's really up to me, right? Like it's my attitude and how I approach things and, you know, how I think about things. And it, I hate that it's true, but it's totally true that like you are in control of how you react to things and you're in control of the kind of day that you want to have.
1: And I think it even goes beyond that, but absolutely. And I, every now and then, even still, like, I have a friend that will be like, Well, your thoughts create your results. And I'm like, Just shut up already. Like, just shove your thoughts and your results. Leave me alone. Like, the toddler in me gets really aggressive at that point. But at the same time, it's not only do you get to control how you approach the world and how you show up, but you can control like time and money and, process and all the things like are actually yours. And being able to step into that as a business owner really changed things for me and getting to help people step into that as business owners is like, Oh wait, because they'll say to me, this great thing happened. This lucky thing happened. And I'll be like, roll back the tape. This, what kind of thing happened? Because really, what did you do to create that? I think that's a question like to ask every day, like, what did you do to create what happened today? Right, because it's always the truth, and it's fascinating when they're like, "Well, I didn't." Like, yeah, okay, try again. I'm like, oh, well, but I was networking with this person, and that person connected to me to her, and they gave me a really good recommendation because I helped them really good, like accidentally a couple of years ago. And it's like, oh, see, you did. You created that. And they'll be like, oh. And suddenly you're like 10 feet tall and like wearing a cape. You're like, Wee! and it's just a subtle thing. Right. But it changes so much. And the mind, yes, I have a dear friend who's a coach who uses astrology and half the time I'm like, why? But then she'll tell me things about me and I'll be like, Oh, you're not wrong. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Yeah,
0: uh, I'm very familiar with that feeling where you don't want to believe in something and you don't want to think it. And then someone says that perfect thing that like pierces right through to your soul. And you're like, fuck. Yeah. Damn it. Like, okay, great. Just go away. We're going to pretend this didn't happen.
1: I know. She'll be like, well, but you're rule following. And I'll be like, oh, come on. Like, no. Why did you have to say it like that? Like, you actually see inside my head.
0: Oh, man. Yes. Oh, I totally get that. And so obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about mindset and, you know, kind of setting those intentions, but when you're feeling really down and you're just kind of having some trouble kind of getting yourself motivated, do you have different ways or different tips that you give to clients for just staying positive? Or are there certain things that motivate you over others?
1: Yep. So I think the first thing is that like, I think staying positive is complete and utter baloney. I have a friend that Talks about it all the time. She says, all you have to be is 51% of any feeling. Oh, I love that. Like nothing is a hundred percent. Like we treat life and feelings and confidence, particularly as this like on off switch in our brain, we either have it, it's on or it's off. When in reality, it's like a dimmer switch, like between zero and a hundred. We're always somewhere on the scale. And the aim is to be in the bigger number half. But is it ever going to be fully 100% all the time? No. And somehow we set ourselves up for like, oh gosh, but I don't feel 100% confident today. Like, join the freaking club. Like, welcome to the lunatic cycle that is owning a business or like having children or being married or whatever, because that's never going to happen. Like, you might grab it for like 10 seconds and you're like, yes. And then you're like, wait, where'd he go? Shit. And it's down to like two and you're like, oh, I broke everything. So this is normal. It's fine. So that's the starting point. Like, yeah, you're not going to feel 100% positive all the time. Congrats, human being. Good job. I think the other thing, though, is for me, whenever I'm like, oh, God, what am I doing here? I go people. Like, I go find some people to talk to. Like, I network a fair amount, but really, honestly, more because I always get such joy out of the people part. And it's always a reminder that like, I can ask somebody one question or give them one idea that changes all kinds of things for them. And then I can just move on with my day. Like I go talk to people, I go like find some people to talk to or I get on Facebook and I answer some questions or I go in my Facebook group and I talk to them. And I always am out of my funk when I have more people in the mix It's when it's really quiet and it's just you behind your computer, like telling yourself you're doing shitty things, that it's a problem. And so when clients of mine are like, right, but I'm in this cycle and it's like, okay, how are you talking to people right now? And they'll be like, oh, I'm not like, so now we're going to stop that. We're going to stop hiding. We're going to go people. And 99 times out of a hundred, they get done and they're like, shit, she was right again. Like go people, go talk to human beings, please. Because that is why you're here.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with that, and I think it was one of the things when I first started, I wasn't doing a ton of networking with my business. I just didn't really understand that that was kind of the entire game, and it felt like such a slog in the beginning. Until I very quickly realized that it was my favorite thing to do. It was so much fun to get to meet people and hear their stories and tell my story and connect on different things or even disagree on different things. But it was just such a positive way to kind of spend my day. And it's not my favorite thing as an entrepreneur, like obviously you kind of have to do it if that's how you want to grow your business. But literally anytime I have a networking group or I'm grabbing coffee with someone or I'm meeting someone new, it is my absolute favorite part of being an entrepreneur.
1: Well, and I think people hear networking and they think selling. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's not it. Like it is connection. It is being a human. Like, can you show up on a call with a stranger and be like, hi stranger, this is me. Who are you? Because that's all that's required like presence and curiosity, like literally nothing else. It doesn't need to be more than that. Yesterday I had a conversation like that with someone. And at the end, she was like, so how much does it cost to work with you? And I was like, oh, um, what? (laughs) Even still, sometimes I'm surprised. I was like, oh, um, shoot, we should have a separate conversation about that. But it is like show up as a human. You don't need to expect anything out of it. The things will come, let them come, allow the process, be a person. People will enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. It will be fun. And then you'll be like, Oh, this whole networking thing is not so bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I say most of my clients, actually almost all of my clients come from networking and they're almost always from calls or from initial meetings that didn't start as a sales call. They always just start as a relationship. We get to know one another. We kind of build on those no like and trust factors. And I'm always telling my clients they need in their websites. And then it just naturally happens over time. You get to know someone. They're like, you know, I feel like I've known you for a year and a half and we've never talked about this, but I kind of need a website. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's chat about it. But it's just, that is by far the best, you know, you can always tell when you have that sleazy salesperson where you get on a call and within like one second, they're like, okay, tell me about your packages and what do you charge and what can I do for you? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: Or when you get to the end and somebody's like, cool, cool, cool. Can I offer you this thing? I had this happen recently, which is why it's in my head. I'm like, that's amazing. That's amazing. So I have this thing and I want to offer it to you. And I, at some points was like, no, thank you. I'm good. We have that covered here. I forget what it was. And she was like, cool, cool, cool. Let's get on another call. And I was like, no, this is you not listening. And she was like, that's great. My boss would love to talk to you. Like also, no, like at that point, I was like, we may never speak again. And then she Facebook friended me and I was like, no, no, I'm not going to get stalked by you, but like you can be a human. And at the, I say to people all the time, like, how can I be useful to you? That's all I ask. And if they say to me, like, what do you need from me? I always say to them, like, connect me with more people you think that would be fun.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Like if. Like, look around and you can ask for that. I think people are like, well, I never know what to say when they ask that. I always say the same shit. I always say like, you now know me a little bit. Think through your people and think like, oh my God, they'd be a hoot together. Connect me with her. Yes. Because we would and we'd have a good time and who knows what it would turn into. And that's enough. Yeah. Like, that's it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I think, you know, just coming at that same place from business as well. I think so many people... You know, when they're starting a business, think of a business as having to sell. And obviously, your goal should be to make money. You know, as you said earlier, you're running a business, not a charity. But, you know, if you're coming at it from a place of wanting to help people and really wanting to, you know, improve people's lives and just kind of share the knowledge that you have, everything starts to fall into place and it starts to become so much more natural than when you're having to think of it, you know, like ill networking or like ill sales.
1: Well, and I have a, I teach, I have a whole, challenge. I did a couple, uh, I guess over the summer about selling without feeling salesy. And I have this whole set of things built around invitations rather than sales pitches. Because I think that like, if you think of it like a party that you're inviting people to, like, here are the things that you don't do. You don't throw a party and get all the shit together and never tell anybody because nobody's coming to that. You don't throw a party, send out invitations and then roll up into people's driveways, duct tape them, put them in your car and bring them to the party. (laughs) I
0: love this analogy.
1: Like you don't throw a party and then send out invitations and then call them every day and be like, did you want to come to my party? Did you want to come to my party? You also don't throw a party and be like, oh, I don't know what time it is. I don't know what you should bring. I don't know what we're going to celebrate you don't do any of that shit. You like decide what kind of party it is. You send out the invitations, you give them the details, and then you get your shit together and let them show up. Like that's how this works. Stop stalking people, stop duct taping them, stop just waiting for them to magically appear. Cause like sitting in your basement and being like, but I would really like to have a party to get. Doesn't make a fucking party. And so it's that part of it. This like shift from selling to inviting, I think is Amazing. And to think of it like, you know, if I was throwing a party, what would I do? Like, I surely would stop stalking these people. (laughs) Like, that's a bad idea. Okay, hold on. Let me go put the duct tape away real quick before I get caught kidnapping. So it is like that mental shift, I think, makes a huge difference in both networking and selling and the rest of it. Like, oh, I'm having a party because what I do is awesome. I don't have to like, Run people over in the street to get them to come. I could just chill out for a hot minute.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that analogy. That is an amazing analogy. And I think it makes total sense as you start to like explain it out. And it really does kind of help people get in the mindset. Okay. So as we kind of wrap up here, if you had one piece of advice for either your younger self that you wish you knew or entrepreneurs who are just starting out, what is kind of that one piece of golden advice that you wish you had had when you were starting?
1: Talk to people like literally just stop the whole series of thoughts you're having right now about like, am I going to say it right? Are they going to think I'm stupid? Are they going to laugh? Are they going to make fun of me behind my back? Is it going to be worth it? Like the whole freaking, you would know them all. They're all in your head. All of that shit doesn't matter. And it doesn't get any better until you actually talk to people. Because you can like game plan the conversation in your head until the end of days. But you know, as well as I do, the first 10 words out of their mouth are not going to be the 10 words you planned and you're going to be like, oh, shit. So it's like standing in front of your first classroom of students or making a lesson plan. Like I surely can I write out a lesson plan? Absolutely. Can I script it? Yes. 10 minutes in, I have to burn it. Like that's how this works. I taught eighth graders. Like I did science labs and half the time. You'd start, you'd be like, that caught on fire. Like, damn, okay, we're going to try this again, guys. And they'd be like, cool, let's do that again. Fire is fun. And so like, but there's no substitute for actually talking to people about it. And that's the way it gets better because you get feedback, you get information, you get things from them. You don't get that from your own head or from telling your husband repeatedly, like, he's great. I promise he loves you. But like, he also doesn't want to have this conversation again. He'd like you to have it with people that can pay you. Him paying you is just taking it out of your checking account and putting it in a different checking account. It's not the same. And so please go talk to people. Like if there's nothing you do for your business, like, and no offense against websites, but literally, like. If you don't have a website or a facebook page or any other thing else go talk to people because in so many cases that's enough to start that's it
0: yeah yeah oh i absolutely love that i think that's great advice and i think there's a lot of new business owners who haven't even thought about that they're just you know I'm automatically in the weeds from day 1 and just totally just sitting there in a silo like i made it why aren't people coming and so i think that's definitely really good advice
1: sitting in your basement wishing for a party <laughs> like- yeah Like, why didn't they come? I have popcorn. Could you freaking tell anybody? (sighs) Yes. No, I get that. What would your advice for them be? I'm
0: curious. Oh, good question. Turned around on me. I think my advice would be you're going to fail, learn from it. I was so terrified of failure when I was first starting my business. Even now, some days I have to kind of learn to accept it. And I think It stops you from doing so many things. You're so terrified that something isn't going to be perfect or it's not going to go as you planned. So you're like, okay, it's just easier to completely not do this and to not worry about it and stay here safe in my bubble and everything's going well. And I think, you know, for me, the chances that I took and frankly, the things that failed, you know, I was a former wedding planner and fucking hated it and it was fucking awful. And I learned more from that failure. In terms of helping me build this business into the success that it is, versus having kind of not started that previous business or been kind of terrified of that business or doing those things or taking those chances. And I just think failure is such an important part of life, obviously, in general, but especially being an entrepreneur and just knowing that you're going to fail, accepting that right off the bat. And then just making sure that you're learning from those failures as best you can, and just not making the
1: same mistakes twice. Well, and it's funny, like that's super important. Like, yes. And what's funny to me is as a teacher, like I am a math teacher. That's my little soul in the corner. I don't actually believe in failure, like as a thing, because I think shit can go sideways. And as long as you learn from it, It didn't fail. Like, there isn't, it's not an actual failure. It's like a social construct. Like, you failed. No, you didn't. Actually, you learned stuff. You may not have learned enough yet to do the thing you want to do, but you certainly aren't where you were before or backwards. Like, that's not actually possible because that's literally not possible. And so, there is no, like, it's all just a giant flipping science experiment. So true. Like as is humanity. So if you can be like, oh, this is just another experiment, put your lab coat on, go experiment shit, like blow it up. Sometimes scientists, like they don't get kicked out of the lab after the first day when it doesn't work. They have no expectation of that. And we, particularly women as business owners are like, right, but it didn't work the first time. Cool. You need to do it 67,000 more times. Call me after that. Yes. And it's like, oh, oh, but you would never, there's so many parts of life where we're happily experimenters, right? Like check my kitchen. (laughs) Check what I made for dinner last night. And everybody was like, um, well, (laughs) hmm." but like, was it a failure? No. Did I learn? I probably won't make that again. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Adjusting expectations and just Not kind of being hard on yourself and making sure that you learn from it is so important. And I think, you know, both of these things are such good advice for new business owners. And it's kind of hard to put yourself in these mindsets and be ready to accept it. But as soon as you do, I think it definitely makes things a little bit smoother. And just get out there and talk to people and accept that you're either going to fail or learn from your failure or adjust your expectations that failure is not a thing as long as you learn whatever it is, I think will be very helpful. Well, Thank you so much for being here today, Sarah. I really appreciate it. It's always a hoot to talk to you.
1: I love talking to you. It's super fun. Thank you so much for having me and for letting us like rant and rave a little bit and use all the words. It's always appreciated and it's just fun. Like you and I are a networking connection. People should know that because this is what happens when you network with people.
0: <laughs> yes, that's a hundred percent. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast with yours truly, Isabel Caitlin. If you love the show, I would appreciate it if you could leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I love hearing from all of you. Share it with a friend, family, colleague, or anyone you know who may benefit from this episode. Remember, you can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over at stripedogcreative.com. All right, that's it for today. See you next time.